You can be seated. So I want you to uh, imagine that you're doing some last-minute Christmas shopping. You're at Target or what have you. And, uh, you know, everything smells like cinnamon. It's kind of this season, everything smells like cinnamon to me. Um, and so, you know, they've they got all these smells that they're pumping into the store to kind of get you to buy stuff. And there's music playing, Muzak, you know. And, the, and you hear this song come on the uh, intercom system. Right? You start a, you hear the intro to it, it goes boom 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 and you're like, okay, this is you know, I know this one. But then all of a sudden you hear the the, the singer begin to sing and, and uh, the lyrics that come out are these You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come bear fruits in keeping with repentance and don't say that Abraham's your dad. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. <laughs> right? We're like, uh, actually I have your sister to thank for that little ditty. So yes, <clears throat> thanks. Thank. Is that? Yeah, yeah, she, she mentioned it. Yes. So, um, so uh, right, like, that's a record scratch moment. Like, you're like, wur, wur, wur. like, what? Like, hold on a second. I was expecting a nice song about Santa Claus and his street that's named after him. And, but instead, I get brood of vipers, right? Um, and that's, you know, when I was looking at the texts for this Sunday, that's kind of, the, that's kind of what happened to me as I was reading these texts, right? Uh, we've got Zephaniah talking about joy, and Paul to the Philippians is talking about joy. And then, you know, we've got John the Baptist, right, who is... Like, happy advent, you brood of vipers, which I actually have a photo for this. There he is. There he is. Looking, uh, looking scraggly, like a, like a prophet. So, uh, so what's the deal with that, right? Uh, it's kind of a little bit of a, like, wow, we're talking about joy, we're talking about joy, we're talking about joy, and John is telling people they're a brood of vipers, and we're talking about repentance. Um, this is the third week of Advent, as I said before, and Advent, of course, is a season of hope. Uh, it's a season of longing. It's a season of repentance. It's a fast in the Christian year. It's sometimes called the Little Lent, where we await the second coming of Christ. Uh, but today is Gaudete Sunday, which is Latin for rejoice, and that's why we lit the pink candle on our Advent uh, wreath. And the pink, the rose-colored candle, uh, it's kind of a midway through this fast is a season of rejoicing where we, we rejoice in the midst of our fasting. Um, and the, the texts that we read reflect this. Zephaniah is telling the people to rejoice, to sing aloud. God is, God is near. Paul is telling people, the Lord is near. Rejoice. Uh, things are good, right? Isaiah is proclaiming the same thing. And then we've got John the Baptist. Like, What is he doing in here talking about something else, it seems like? So it seems like maybe like the readings are a little bit schizophrenic today, like which is it? Is it about joy today or is it about judgment? Is it about repentance or is it about rejoicing? And the good news today is that it's about both, okay? Because we really don't get joy, we don't get kingdom joy unless we're willing to hear the word of justice and judgment. Because joy doesn't come to the people unless it comes to all the people. And so we have to talk about justice. So joy doesn't come without justice. And justice doesn't come without judgment. So we've got to talk about all this stuff together um, today. That's what I'm going to try to do. But we're more comfortable, aren't we, uh, with, with a version of joy that's, that, that's not passed through the fire of judgment. Um, something that is reflected literally in hundreds of feel-good Christmas movies that come out during this time. 
How many of you guys have watched a feel-good Christmas movie already this season, right? Uh, every time I open Netflix, uh, you know how they auto-play the trailers now? Um, I can't figure out how to shut that off. Um, I'm not tech-savvy enough as I, as I used to be. But they auto-play the trailers, and so every time I open up the Netflix homepage, I hear these jingle bells, and there's another feel-good Christmas movie that I'm supposed to watch, uh, or that Netflix thinks I might want to watch. I looked into a couple of these. There's the holiday calendar which is a, it's about a magic, magical advent calendar that helps a woman get over her fears and uh, chase after her dreams in life. And she falls in love in the process, right? So they always fall in love in these movies. Uh, the Christmas Chronicles uh, starts Kirk Russell as a very good-looking Santa. Um, but two kids accidentally crash Santa's sleigh, and they have to help him save Christmas. Real quotes from this movie. Christmas spirit is down 30%. Kids aren't going to get toys. That's some of the peril that happens in this movie. Uh, another one is, uh, people need Christmas to remind themselves of how good they can be. Anyway, there's another one that I looked up uh, called The Christmas Prince. Anybody seen this one? The Christmas Prince. Netflix released this one last year, and it's about an aspiring young American magazine journalist named Amber Moore who's sent to the foreign nation of Aldovia. It's kind of vaguely Eastern European, right? So she's sent to this foreign nation of Aldovia, uh, to cover the press conference with the crown prince of Aldovia, Richard, who is set to take the throne following his father's recent death. Richard uh, doesn't show up for his press conference, and Amber goes snooping around the palace, kind of looking for what's going on here. She's mistaken for Princess Emily's tutor, and she decides not to correct the mistake and instead to pose as the tutor to see if she can get the scoop on what's going on with Richard. And there's rumors that he's going to abdicate the throne. And uh, Amber eventually meets Richard and, surprise, surprise, starts falling in love with him because he's a caring and generous, responsible family man. He also happens to be a very good-looking man. Everybody is, like, stunningly good-looking in these movies, right? Um, and so there's, there's also... I won't bore you with the plot, okay? Because it literally is very, very boring. <laughs> but you guys know this kind of story, right? We meet one-dimensional villains like Simon, the cousin who wants the throne, and Sophia, the ex-girlfriend who only was in love with him because she wanted the throne as well. And so the, the, the plot is just convoluted, and, but there's all these sort of... Uh, question marks, right? They try to build some tension into it, like will Richard abdicate the throne or will he decide to take the throne? Is Simon going to find a way to usurp the throne? Is Richard adopted? That's another plot point. Um, will Amber get attacked by that wolf after she's thrown from her horse? Another literal plot point. Uh, will they ever find each other again once Amber is forced to leave in disgrace? But we know what the answer is, right? Yes. Of course they find each other, and everybody lives happily ever after. This is the story of the feel-good Christmas movie. That's why we watch them, to feel good. There's some interviews. I found, a, I found an article in the magazine Cosmopolitan. You guys ever heard of this? Um, I didn't know they were still around, but they're here it was. Um, there's an article about these uh, movies, and it says, uh, here's a quote from the article. It says, considering the IRL nightmares... IRL, for those of you who are unaware, is in real life, okay? Annika, am I right? I have this right? You, Annika, you can fact check me just to make sure what IRL, but IRL means in real life, okay? So considering the IRL nightmares that play on repeat every day on our Twitter feeds, our cable news stickers, and our newspaper front pages, it's no surprise that two hours of twinkly lights, feel-good family reunions, and meet-cutes under the mistletoe creates a brand of enchantment that's almost impossible to resist. 
I found this astonishing. This year, this year, Hallmark, the channel, will debut, these are new movies, 37 new holiday movies this year. Can you believe this? There is big money in these holiday movies. The, the screenwriter for The Christmas Prince, you know, the critics panned The Christmas Prince, right? Like, critics hated it. Uh, but the screenwriter for it says, I don't mind. People were having so much fun picking on the movie. They were tearing it apart, but I think it's great because what I'm trying to do is bring people joy and happiness. An actor, an actress in one of these uh, other movies says, like, why would you want to be in this kind of movie, right? Like, why don't you want to go for a gritty independent role? And she says, well, I like those too. But these movies make people happy, and that's important, especially right now. From the Cosmo article, it says, they're cheap to make, actors love doing them, and they're formulaic for a reason. The audience shows up, money is made, Christmas cheer is spread, that's what Christmas is all about. Amen, Amen right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's take up an offering and take... No, no. <clears throat> you guys can feel this, right? There's something missing here. When we think about joy, when we think about Christmas, when we think about this season, we oftentimes, our minds go to these kinds of storylines. But I want you to contrast that, and I get it, right? After a long day, a stressful day, I don't want to watch a hard-hitting documentary. Like, Deb and I owned the movie Hotel Rwanda for three years before we watched it. Because every, you know, every time movie, came, movie night came up, like, we were like, Hotel Rwanda or a romantic comedy? Well, you know, like, but eventually we watched it, right? So I get it, right? I get it. Like, it can feel exhausting to see the IRL nightmares play on our Twitter feeds hard. But I want you to contrast the feel-good sentimental Christmas movie with an older Christmas story. This is A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And I'll, maybe many of you are familiar, but I'll outline the plot for you. It's a bleak, cold Christmas Eve in London, seven years after the death of Ebenezer Scrooge's business partner, Jacob Marley. Scrooge is an aging miser. You guys know what a miser is? Somebody who is very... Uh, controlling of their money. They, don't, they, they want to hoard it, basically. They're not spend any of it. He's an aging miser, and he dislikes Christmas, and he refuses a dinner invitation from his nephew, Fred. He turns away two men who seek a donation for him to provide food and clothing and uh, heating for the poor, and only grudgingly allows his overworked, underpaid worker, his clerk, Bob Cratchit, the day off, Christmas day off, with pay. Only grudgingly allows this. That night, Scrooge is visited at home by Marley's ghost, who wanders the earth entwined by heavy chains and money boxes forged during a lifetime of greed and selfishness. Marley tells Scrooge that he has a single chance to avoid the same fate. He will be visited this night by three spirits that, must li and that he must listen to or be cursed to carry heavier chains of his own. So the first spirit is the ghost of Christmas past, and he takes Scrooge to the Christmas scenes of Scrooge's boyhood, uh, reminding him of a time when he was more innocent. The scenes reveal Scrooge's lonely childhood at boarding school, his relationship with his beloved sister, Fan, and a Christmas party hosted by his first employer, Mr. Fezziwig, who treated him like a son. Scrooge's neglected fiancée, Belle, is shown in these scenes, ending their relationship as she realizes that he will never love her as much as he loves money. And finally, they visit a now-married Belle with her large happy family on the Christmas Eve that Marley died. And Scrooge uh, gets upset when he hears Belle describe the kind of man that, Ebe that Ebe Ebenezer Scrooge had become. And he asks the spirit to leave. 
And the Spirit does. Second Spirit, though, visits him, the ghost of Christmas present, and it takes Scrooge to a joyous market with people buying the makings of Christmas dinner and celebrations of Christmas in a miner's cottage and in a lighthouse. Scrooge and the ghost also visit Fred's Christmas party, and we see Bob Cratchit's family feast as well. And we're introduced to Bob Cratchit's youngest son, Tiny Tim, who is very ill, um, but happy. And the spirit informs Scrooge that Tiny Tim will die unless the course of events changes. The third spirit visits Scrooge. This is the ghost of Christmas yet to come and shows Scrooge a Christmas day in the future. The silent ghost reveals scenes involving the death of a disliked man whose funeral is attended only by local businessmen and only because free lunch was offered. His charwoman laundress and the local undertaker steal his possessions to sell. And when he asks the spirit to show a single person who feels emotion over his death, he's only given the pleasure of a poor couple who rejoice that his death gives them more time to get their finances in order. When Scrooge asks to see the tenderness, any tenderness, connected with any death, the ghost shows him Bob Cratchit and his family mourning the death of Tiny Tim. The ghost then allows Scrooge to see a neglected grave with a tombstone bearing Scrooge's own name. And sobbing, Scrooge pledges to change his ways. And he wakes up on Christmas Day, a changed man. He spends the afternoon with Fred's family, anonymously sends a turkey, large turkey, to the Cratchit home for Christmas dinner. And the following day, he gives Cratchit an increase in pay and becomes a father figure to Tiny Tim. From then on, Scrooge begins to treat everyone with kindness, generosity, and compassion, embodying the spirit of Christmas. So, quite a contrast, yes, between these two kinds of stories. There's a different kind of happy ending in A Christmas Carol, a different kind of joy. A joy that's not just about individual falling in love and all the feelings associated with that, but loosing the chains of injustice. A joy that's about repentance a joy that comes on the other side of judgment. And that's our good news today, that in a world where the powerful consolidate their power at the expense of the weak, Jesus is coming to dwell with us, to protect the vulnerable and party with the oppressed. As we allow judgment to do its work in us, we are swept up together into the joy of salvation, all of us together. We've been preaching uh, on the politics of Christmas. We've been preaching from the Old Testament texts and Zephaniah, This text is uh, popular, it's famous. Zephaniah tells the people to rejoice and he paints a beautiful picture of God's presence protecting and partying, God partying with his people, rejoicing over them with singing. Uh, But overall, Zephaniah, if you look at the whole book, it's not a very positive book. (laughs) Um, This is the ninth of nine oracles and the first eight are all judgment, scathing judgment against uh, Israel. Zephaniah is prophesying probably in the 7th century during the reign of King Josiah, and he's prophesying the coming devastation that's going to come when they get taken off into exile into Babylon. And he deals, he details the oppression that's perpetrated by Israel's leaders. He denounces sin and pride and the oppression of the poor. God says in this passage, I will deal with your oppressors. Because the joy that God comes to bring is not a joy that sweeps these kinds of things under the rug. It's not a joy that, that, that merely turns a blind eye to these realities, but it's a joy that happens on the other side of facing these things, injustice, and allowing God to do something about them. This is the work of judgment. A few weeks ago, uh, right, we had um, our beginnings and endings series, 
And when we talked about judgment, we said that Jesus Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead, and that will be the best thing that ever happens to us. We're not used to, most of us, thinking of judgment as good news. But for the people who heard this text in Zephaniah, it was very good news. Because they were under the thumb of those who were oppressing them. And so judgment feels like very good news to those who feel like their livelihood has been taken away and they can't do anything about it. After God sorts these things out, then they are encouraged to sing and be glad. Judgment will have done its work. And then, yes, sing, shout aloud. Be glad and rejoice. Judgment unto joy, just like Scrooge. It's only kingdom joy if the outcasts are brought in and the oppressed are invited to the table, if the poor are provided for and the vulnerable are protected. That's what brings about the kind of kingdom joy that we look forward to on this third Sunday of Advent. In a world where the powerful consolidate their power at the expense of the weak, Jesus is coming to dwell with us, to protect the vulnerable and party with the oppressed. And as we allow judgment to do its work in us, we are swept up together into the joy of salvation. God is going to be present among his people. It's part of the good news of this text that God will be with them. It's obviously an Advent and Christmas theme that God has come to be with us. And what he does among those people, this is in verse 15 and 17, what he does among us is he protects from harm and he throws a party for the oppressed. And this is a universal liberation, not just for Israel, but for all the nations. And this is mirrored in John the Baptist's message as well, (laughs) who tells us, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? But people ask, right, in the gospel passage, well, what should we do? And John gives them very practical advice. You got plenty of food and clothing? Provide for those who don't. Share. Share your stuff with people who don't have enough. Tells the tax collectors, don't use your position to exploit people out of their hard-earned money. Only collect what's fair. Tells soldiers, be content with your pay. Don't use your position to exploit or oppress others. All of these encouragements that John gives for how to repent are all expressing social solidarity with one another, noticing especially the poor and vulnerable among us. I like, too, that uh, at the end it says, with many other words, he exhorted them and proclaimed the good news to them. So again, they were hearing this as good news. Brood of vipers. <laughs> Repent. And they were like, okay, how do we do it? What do we do? And they heard it as exceedingly good news that they, they got to do this. In some ways, this anticipates Mary's song, we call the Magnificat, right? Where she is rejoicing that, that, that God is coming through the child who will be born of her And she says, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble and the meek. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he's sent empty away. There's this reversal that happens, that God's promises seem to prefer the poor, the vulnerable. And our danger in this season is that we want to hear rejoice without hearing repent. We want a sentimental feel-good Christmas movie. We don't really want to face up to our complicity in some of the things that are happening among us. It's easy to sentimentalize Christmas. It's very difficult for us to hear these prophetic books from the position that we're in. Most of us, 21st century North American, we come from a place of privilege. It's very difficult to hear these words. 
And one of the dangers is that we try to apply it to our lives without recognizing the more global aspects of what God is doing here and what God is calling us into. It's easy for us to conflate the good time had by all at the Christmas party last night with the kind of joy that is written about in Zephaniah. But they're not the same kind of thing unless justice is being done. This is a universal and a social salvation that we share with all people, especially the suffering, especially the oppressed. God comes and his presence comes to destroy that which separates us from each other. Violence, oppression, exploitation, rivalries, accusation, domination, war, all of it. He comes to destroy those things, bring down the dividing wall of hostility and bring us together with those that we may not think of as our own. But God is calling us into this social solidarity with all, especially looking out for the weak, the exploited. Because we are inextricably bound up in these things. Even if we're not like Scrooge, who was explicitly sort of oppressing, right? Hoarding his money, not sharing. Even if we're not explicitly doing those things, we are all of us bound up in systems that we can't extricate ourselves from. I don't know who made my clothes. I don't know. But by buying them and wearing them, I participate in something that I can't find a way to extricate myself from. So part of our, part of our proclamation of joy has to, has to also involve the, the, the participation in lament, confessing these things and saying, Lord, we don't, we don't know what to do with these things. In Advent, we wait for God to come and do what only God can do. We know that we can't, you know, we've had, we've had years to try to figure this out on our own. We can't, we can't do much about it. So we wait for God to do what only he can do, but we also witness to the coming kingdom. We can witness to those things by repenting, by lamenting, by confessing. In a world where the powerful consolidate their power at the expense of the weak, Jesus is coming to dwell with us to protect the vulnerable and party with the oppressed. As we allow judgment to do its work in us, we are swept up together into the joy of salvation. So part of, how do we respond to this word? Part of it is just simply to look in the, the hauntings that Scrooge had. Part of his judgment was just to see, look, Look at what's real. Behold, don't turn your eyes away from this. See it. And I confess, you know, that this is difficult to look and behold what's real. I find it easier to opt out. But we need to allow ourselves to be haunted by the spirits, the ghosts. We need to allow ourselves to be haunted by these ghosts. The Ghost of Christmas Past. I'm reading a book right now about uh, the early slave trade in America, um, how it basically created our economy. The reason America was great in the first place, so to speak, was built on the backs of slaves from Africa. It's a hard book to read for me. It's a hard book to read. But I'm trying to look, I'm trying to see. Sandy Hook was only six years ago, and six years and two days. Trying to look, trying to see, right? So we look, we mourn, we lament, 
We confess because joy has not yet come for these. We need to allow ourselves to be haunted by Christmas present. Ten days ago, a group of about 165 asylum seekers from Guatemala arrived at a border patrol station in New Mexico. 24 hours later, a seven-year-old girl named Jacqueline Amay Rosemary Kaal Makin died of shock and dehydration. Yes, it's complicated. Yes, we need discernment. But we look. We mourn. We lament. We confess. Joy has not yet come for these. We need to allow ourselves to be haunted by the ghosts of Christmas future as well. Projections that say the refugee crisis globally is only going to get worse if things keep going into the direction that they're going. Our planet is warming at an alarming rate. We have to think about this because it, it affects the poor more than it affects anybody else. Climate change. So we look, we mourn, we lament, we confess because joy has not yet come for these. And after we look and we listen, we pray. And this isn't the sentimentality of thoughts and prayers, right? That's basically turning a blind eye to actual prayer. But we pray. We really do. We bring them into the presence of the Lord. We trust that, the, that our prayers are powerful and effective for bringing down strongholds. We join in solidarity with those, crying out to God on their behalf, which we'll do in just a moment. And then we do stand in solidarity with them, and we discern what this looks like. Um, there's some handouts in the back uh, that I'll, 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 I'll talk about later when we talk about our offering. But, but basically, a practical way to help some of these asylum seekers and migrants who are coming to our southern border through a church that we know down there. It's a way of standing in solidarity, just doing what we can. Uh, and then finally we do, though, rejoice with them in God's coming salvation, realizing we're not fixing the problems here. We're just trying to participate and witness to what God is doing on the earth and what God will come to do and to, and to finish in the second coming of Christ. And we express hope and we express joy with these who have not yet had joy come for them. So yes, Advent is about waiting for God to come and do something that only He can do, but it's also about witnessing. We witness to this coming reality by enacting it today, by being these people today. Welcoming, listening, gospeling, going, as our practices say, expressing solidarity with the poor, with the suffering, with those who are outcast. So we long for this joy to come today, and we resist the shallow sentimentality of the holiday season that simply turns a blind eye towards the suffering of others. And instead, we receive our visits from our ghosts. We allow them to haunt us with injustice so that we can lament, pray, and act in response to it, joining with God and bringing jo the joy of salvation to all. In a world where the powerful consolidate their power at the expense of the weak, Jesus is coming to dwell with us, to protect the vulnerable and party with the oppressed. And as we allow judgment to do its work in us, we are swept up together into the joy of salvation. I just want to end with a poem from Jan Richardson that speaks to this uh, reality. And the table will be wide, and the welcome will be wide, and the arms will open wide to gather us in. And our hearts will open wide to receive. And we will come as children who trust there is enough. And we will come unhindered and free. And our aching will be met with bread. And our sorrow will be met with wine. And we will open our hands to the feast without shame. And we will turn toward each other without fear. And we will give up our appetite for despair. And we will taste 
and no delight. And we will become bread for a hungering world. And we will become drink for those who thirst. And the blessed will become the blessing. And everywhere will be the feast. Amen. Let's just take some time in prayer. There's a prayer in your booklet. What comes to mind for you? Who is on your heart? We'll pray together this prayer in your booklet. King Jesus, thank you that you are coming to protect the vulnerable and party with the oppressed. We cry out to you today on behalf of, and then name them. It might be a group of people. It might be specific people. But name them in the presence of Christ and with us. And then we continue to pray. Show us how to stand in solidarity with the outcasts and exiles. Bring us all together into the joy of your salvation. Lord, in your mercy, and we'll all respond. Hear our prayer. Let's pray together.